we are in a series here called Summit Walk. Summit Walk. <clears throat> we started actually back in the fall with this whole concept of summit life, being able to envision what it looks like to drink deep of a walk with our God daily and regularly, being blown away with the greatness of our King, being in awe of Him and experiencing Him regularly. That was what we talked about first and how we began to walk through that. We went through all the fall talking about different facets of what it is to worship our Savior. Now we're in this series called Summit Walk. We're talking about a very specific set of steps that we can go through, very particular along the way, each day that God might get all the glory. Decisions in our life where we can worship Him and celebrate Him by our steps. And so we've been walking through the book of James. Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. James 3, starting in verse 13, which is where we're going to jump in today. We've been talking about how to avoid the potholes of life, if you will, and how to be able to celebrate our God along the way. And today we're going to be talking about stepping through earthly wisdom, stepping through what this world celebrates and tries to make much of, but quite frankly will tear you down, how to make sure we move around the pothole of earthly wisdom. That's where we're going after today, all right? So first point, first step. Be satisfied with what you have without jealousy and selfishness. Be satisfied with what you have without jealousy and without selfishness. So we start here in James chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? And now he begins to talk about wisdom. If you remember, <clears throat> we actually were talking about the words last week, right? Our tongue, uh, actually two weeks ago. And when he was talking about it, he said, your tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, and it is set on fire of the course of nature. It is set on fire of hell. He, he was talking about the danger and the damage that we can do to our tongue. And now all of a sudden he's like, hey, let's talk a little bit about wisdom. And there's a lot of people that are like, man, it feels like a total gear shift. What is he doing? Why did he change topics so fast? And let me just say, notice it says, who is wise and understanding among you? Those two words, wise and understanding, those were actually words that were often used for teachers. When they talked about a teacher, they would talk about someone who is wise, or at least he thinks he's wise. He thinks he's got something to share, right? And so this word wise was actually a label that was given to teachers. He's staying in the exact same context. James chapter 3 verse 1 says, and really there shouldn't be many of you who want to be teachers. And now he's jumping to verse 13 and he's like, if there are those among you who are calling yourself teacher, who is wise and understanding among you? Like if you're carrying the label teacher, know this, here's some things to understand. So he's actually still in the same topic. He's still talking about the same thing. Be careful about how you assert yourself and your knowledge along the daily walk of life. And he says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good, good conduct, let him show his works. By his good conduct, let him show his works. He's like, dude, I know you believe you've got your mojo together. That's why you call yourself wise. But please hear me. Make sure you're letting your talk actually be mostly shown in your 
walk. Right? Talk is cheap. Anybody can stand up and say something. Live it out. That's what he's saying. Make sure that you're letting your good conduct be shown in your works. He says, in the meekness of wisdom. And uh, that word meekness is a really big deal there. Some translations actually use the word um, humility. And that's probably not the best translation, honestly. The word meekness here really captures it much better. And it's really talking about uh, power under control. That's the word meekness. Power under control. It is not weakness. Everybody say not that. Dude, it is not weakness. When we hear the word meek, you may think of somebody like kind of feeble or small or they're sort of, they sort of don't know how to handle life and they're afraid to assert and, and, and that's meek. That's actually not meek. That's just what you've seen in the movies, right? The world doesn't sell meek very well, but God sells meek with all he's got. And meekness, it's power under control. And uh, in fact, they often use the word meek to reflect on a horse, this massive horse with tons of energy and strength that is being directed by the bridle. And the horse is allowing the bridle to control him. He actually has enough force and enough power to just take over if he wanted to. But instead, he's allowing this management to go on. Meekness, it's power under control. And he's like, just so you know, real wisdom brings meekness. It says the meekness of wisdom. When you fully grasp who your God is and when you absolutely understand the truth that is in life, when you understand how this world works and weaves and you begin to put yourself under the mighty hand of God, dude, that is meekness. When you're allowing God to lead you and guide you and his wisdom to direct you along the way. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. If you have bitter jealousy, bitter jealousy. And, uh, in fact, these words here, when you put it together, there's actually the word zealous in it. Can you hear it? It's like our English word zealous, right? To be really sold out for. Inner heat, a fervency over what you do not have. In fact, it's attached to some negative stuff. So there's this big passionate heat. You're zealous. You have this big zeal. But the zeal is for the stuff you don't have. Or the stuff you might lose. And he says, if you have bitter jealousy, right? Just so you know, that word jealousy actually means the things you do have that you're afraid to lose. Right? There's a little bit of difference between jealousy and envy. And so jealousy is the stuff you do have, you don't want to lose it. Envy is the stuff you don't have, you want to gain it. Right? You want to go get it. And he's going to talk about envy really in the word selfish ambition. The going out and making much of your own name. The selfish ambition. I long to have accomplishment. I long to have prestige. I want my name up in lights. Right? He's like, look, if you're walking around and your whole goal in life is to say, I need everybody to know who I am. I need everybody to understand what I know. I want everybody to start appraising me. That's what I want. And honestly, that that I've already collected, I'm kind of afraid people are going to take it away. I don't want anybody touching it. Watch out for. And all of a sudden, they're starting to get to be this biting and this backbiting and this you're fighting for the attentions. And that's what the world is all about. The world is all about let me teach you how to compete. And the goal is for you to get for you. 
Everybody say, please not that. Seriously, man, don't miss it. The world is selling something that seems like it'll be so satisfying in the moment. Make it all about you. It's going to be awesome. But in fact, that isn't it at all. In fact, that's not wisdom at all that is from above. He says, this wisdom that is meek, well, it won't have bitter jealousy. It won't have this, this heat within that wants of other people. It won't have selfish ambition in your hearts. It says, do not boast and be false to the truth. He's like, don't walk around bragging about it, man. You're missing it. I remember James is writing to a group of people that have now split away because of all the pressures that were going on, and they got a lot of problems going on. There's a lot of infighting. There's a lot of stuff happening. He's like, do me a favor. Please, stop with the infighting. Stop with making it all about yourself. Stop with trying to achieve for you. It's not getting it done. And by all means, will you please stop saying, do you see what I've accomplished? Look how good I am. Dude, you did not teach even close to how I taught. Dude, you're not walking like I'm walking. You should see the impact I'm making. And that's the kind of stuff going on. It's like, don't boast about it. Don't brag about it. He said, in fact, if you boast about it, well, then you're being false to the truth. You're not actually standing for what God's standing for. You're standing for really what the dark demonic forces of this world stand for. I will be like the most high, right? It's like you're missing it. Don't make it all about you. Make sure you are making it much of your Savior. He says, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This isn't the wisdom that is from, what's he talking about? Well, if you go to James chapter 1, verse 5, remember it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that gives, who gives to all men without holding it back. He just lavishes it on. Ask of God and he'll give you wisdom. James is like, let me be clear, not this kind of wisdom. Right? This isn't what God gives. God, I need wisdom. Just be a little bit more of a jerk. That's not what God says, right? God, I need wisdom. Just a little more selfishness, you're almost there. Not that. God's not dishing this out. This isn't the diet we get when we're with our God. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He won't give you this kind of wisdom, right? And it's super clear on that. And then it also says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above. From the Father of lights, it comes down from our God, every good and perfect gift. This is not good, this is not perfect, this completely swings and misses. This is not the gift from your Father. He says, this is not the stuff that comes from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It is earthly, like it's sourced in this world, it's centered in this world, its perspective is this world. Quite frankly, it's a little bit pragmatic trying to figure out how to get something for me right here and right now in this place and space. Right? That's what the world is selling. Go after this right now, right here. It'll pay off for you right now, right here. And in fact, some of what they're saying may even have truth to it. There may be a quick payoff if you go after something in a very aggressive way. But in the long run, and it isn't all where God's standing. It's earthly. It's very much centered on the here and the now. It's unspiritual. In fact, this word only occurs a couple of times in the New Testament, and uh, the, the meaning of it's a little bit vague. It's always set on the opposite side of spiritual is this word in the Greek. And so they 
tend to translate it as unspiritual just to make it the most clear. It's the opposite of spiritual. But, but here's another way to say it. It actually, you may have heard people say this, uh, the word soulish. Have you ever heard that before? I've heard that a few times down around this community. Soulish. That's actually the translation of this word. It means it's my own will and desires welling up and pouring out. It's what I want. Selfishness. Have you heard that word before? Right? Everybody's saying nothing. Have you heard that word before? All right, I'm with you. I've heard that word before too. The reality, this is a welling up of self and pouring out. And he's like, just be careful, man. The world celebrates that. I want what I want. I'm going to take charge. I'm going to make it all about me. Or, oh, no, you didn't just do that, right? The world has a movement that is all about you. And the whole point of it is to break down the worship of our king and all that he's about. May we never miss it. It says earthly and unspiritual, going after the selfishness, and demonic. Like this is the stuff that the satanic forces are all about. Self. You. You will be like the most high. You should be honored above everybody else. What's wrong with them? God doesn't get the glory. You should. This is the satanic whisper. It's like it's demonic. The world's whisper is the demonic whisper. It needs to be all about you. In fact, the God-given whisper is this. He is the creator of the universe. He is stunning and perfect. Everything he puts in place is absolutely to be awed. He gets all the glory. There will be benefit at times. It washes on our shore. Praise God for that. But he gets all the glory. The demonic statement, you get all the glory. Forget about him. Go after yourself. Simple question, man. How are you doing in your workplace or in your family with walking around and saying, no, seriously, it really shouldn't be all about me and what I get. I am willing to take care of the other person. They need to be cared for. It's not about me. May God get all the glory. How are you doing with that? May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said, yeah. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Disorder, this word literally means there will be turmoil. James is saying, I'm just saying that when you let this stuff run rampant, the church goes into high turmoil. Just know that there's going to be a lot of stir. There's going to be a lot of ugly. It's going to be hard-pressed. People are going to be fighting against each other. There's going to be hurt feelings. Things are not going to go well in the church when this is what we celebrate first and foremost. Remember, he's writing to a group of people who are trying to execute the early church. And he's like, do me a favor, a little less selfishness. You're making it all about you. That's not what's coming down from our God in heaven who gives us every good and perfect gift. It says there will be disorder and every vile practice. Every vile practice. This is a, a momentary feel good. I mean, let's be honest. If you describe vile practice as just the stuff that God doesn't want you to do, right, which isn't untrue, but you're missing the point. The reason you go after the vile practice, why in the world do I do that? Have you ever asked yourself that afterwards? You find yourself in the middle of a... It's just me. Everybody's just looking at me right now. It's just me. I'm the only one who does bad things. 
Glad you all are perfect. I'll just talk to myself right now, right? No, the reality, why do we get into sin? Why do we choose this? Why did I lip off a little bit more in that? Why did I do this thing that took from me and hurt them? Why am I doing that? Why did I do it again? Answer, well, bluntly, it paid off in the moment. It gave you something right then and there. Make sure you recognize that sin has a payoff, but it's super short. It's very abbreviated, and it's massively conflicted with turmoil in the long haul. Make sure you see it for what it is, because the whisper is, that's a lie. This will feel good. This will feel good. And it very well might for a moment in time. But for across the long haul and into eternity, it is absolutely not where we want to be. And all of God's people said, Huge deal that we grasp. It creates high turmoil. It creates a high stir, even if it is just a momentary feel-good. We've got to make sure that we're careful, that we don't run after the selfishness, that we don't buy into what the world's pushing. All right. That said, so it's a lot like a hand coming out from under a bed and grabbing onto you. If you're like, I don't get it at all. Hang on. Here's what I mean. So when I was in college, uh, I actually was at Wheaton College. I was a freshman. And uh, our RA, you know, the person who's supposed to watch over the dorm floor with maturity, (laughs) our RA was actually the guy who loved doing the pranks the most. And uh, so he would go after pranks all over the place. He was hitting every guy on the floor with different pranks. And then he got to our room. And he decided to kind of do some heavy pranks on our room, and I won't go into all of them. Uh, One of them, kind of the last one, which wasn't that big a deal, there was a few bigger ones, but this one he called in and I answered on, now remember this is a while ago, so the phones are attached to the wall, you know, they're not like in your pocket. But he called on the phone, I pick up the landline phone, and I say hello, and he had put shaving cream all over the phone, so now I get it all in my ear and on my hair and everything, right? He's like, dude, I totally got you, and then he hung up, right? And... uh, All right, so walk out into the hallway. I'm like, what are you doing, man? He lives right next door to me, right? What are you doing? And the guys in the hallway are like, you got to so get back at him. You got to get even, man, for like the next few days. That's all I heard. You got to get even with that guy. Go after him, man. And uh, so one night we were sitting in the hallway talking. It was about 1030 at night. It was time for him to go brush his teeth. So he went over to go brush his teeth. And I'm sitting there. And as he walked out, his door closed. But it didn't close all the way. It kind of bounced and it stayed a little bit unlocked, you know? And they're like, dude, this is it. So I went over, I opened the door, I broke down. I went in, I closed the door, and now I'm like, now what? What do I do? Right? And I'm standing there, I'm like, I'll scare him, but, you know, there's not a lot of places to hide. It's a little dorm room. You know, he walks in, you're like, hey, you know, I don't know. It's not going to work well. So I'm like, I got to do something. So I climb under the bed. I climb under the bed and I scoot under. I'm like, all right, I got him now. I'm going to totally nail him, right? So he walks in, he takes his toothbrush and stuff, sets it down, walks all the way across the room, climbs up on the windowsill, sits down and goes, and now he just starts taking in life for the day. And he's just processing. I'm under his bed, across the room. And he's just like taking in life. I don't know, maybe he's praying. It's Wheaton College. Maybe he had a little moment, you know? I don't know what he's doing, but he's processing, and I'm like, now what? As I'm looking at bed springs, 
do I do something? Do I say something? If I jump out from here, it's kind of lame. You're like, ah, you know, and like way across the room, it doesn't work. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. And then he gets off the windowsill. He comes over, turns around, and he sits down on the bed right in front of me, like his legs are right there. And I'm like, maybe now's the time, you know? Maybe I should. And I'm like, all right, I'm doing it. So I go, yeah! And I grabbed his legs. He yanks his legs up in the air and starts screaming like a woman being murdered. <laughs> this shrieking, ah! Runs over to the other side, jumps up on the windowsill, puts his hands out, shrieks again like a woman being murdered. What are you doing? And then I climb out from underneath and he goes, oh my word, you got me, man. And then all the guys in the hallway who were listening in start cracking up. I was literally in the room for like 10 minutes, man, before I finally got the chance to go, yeah, and grab him, right? And uh, that's not the point of the story. Here's the point of the story. Uh, every night now when I go to bed, Donna goes to bed ahead of me, and so the lights are out. It's dark. And so I'm coming in a little bit after her, and I go to grab the pillows. And every night I'm like, <laughs> stepping back away from the edge, just creeped out a little bit by what might be under the... And you put the pillows on the bed, and then you, like, put them across just in case there's something under. And then you quickly jump over into bed. Like, it's in my head. And then I literally crack up every night about this story for the last 25 years. Like, I'm just telling you, man, when you play with the wisdom that is earthly, it gets in your head and it gets in your heart. And it does. It affects you for life. And all of a sudden, you start thinking on the darker, more evil, more harsh, more selfish, more hands coming out from under beds and grabbing onto you kind of thinking. Be careful. We can toy with something for a moment in time. And it can have a massive impact. May we recognize that we need to actually be satisfied in who our God is and all that he's providing for us. And all of God's people said, man, you know you're all going to be checking your beds tonight. <laughs> Point number two, seek. Seek to bring the character of God into every room by your actions and impacts. Seek to bring the character of God into every room by your actions and impacts. It says, but the wisdom that is from above. Everybody say, this is from God. Right? When it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it. This is the wisdom he's giving. All right? As we jump into verse 17 here, this is the gift from God when you cry out, Lord, I long for some guidance. Lord, I'm wrestling with which way is up. Lord, how do I handle this? God, what should my next step be? Lord, should I go to college? Lord, which college should I go to? Lord, what should my career be? Lord, who should I be marrying? And all of those questions that start rolling where God begins to give you not just the answer. Have you ever noticed that God actually works you through the principles rather than just dropping a little leaflet down that gives you the exact college name you should go to, right? You tend to not get that kind of answer. It's the principle-based decision-making, wisdom that helps lead you through as God guides and directs along the way. It says the wisdom that is from above is, here we go, first, pure, pure. 
It is the display of God's character. It's pure. It's absolutely absent of all sinful motivation. Did you know that? The wisdom from, the, from above is not about selfish motivation. I am not getting my name up in lights. It's not what I'm about. I long for my God to get the glory. Lord, what do you want in the midst of this? The wisdom that is from above, from God, pure, his, his character on display is pure. This is the exact opposite of selfishness. There's no selfishness in this. This is God-honoring and others caring, and it's aware of what's going on in the world. It's pure. Then it says, peaceable. It's peace-loving. It's peace-making. The wisdom that is from above looks to bring people together and try to come to an understanding, doesn't look to force my way on it. No, this is what I want. That's not the, the answer. Our job is to be coming together and beginning to hear from each other. It's peaceable. It's peace-loving. It's peacemaking. In fact, it's the exact opposite of the earthly wisdom that creates turmoil, right? That brings vile behavior. This is all about a calm and a getting along and God being honored in the midst of it. The wisdom that is from God, well, it's not about selfishness. And the wisdom that is from God... Well, it doesn't pit you against somebody else and try to take from them or make it much about you, okay? It's peaceable. It's gentle. It is not seeking to destroy, but rather to love. Wisdom is gentle. If you believe you've gotten a word from God of wisdom and it's you going and absolutely unleashing, raising up in all areas, your tone, your energy, your words, maybe it's name-calling, and you are going to hurt down on them. That's missing it. There may be some godly wisdom as what you're upset about, but how you execute will execute the very character of God. And gentle is a part of it. Please hear me, though. Gentle doesn't mean approve of everything. Everybody gets that, right? Gentle is not the same thing as enable. They're in the middle of sin, I'm just going to let them go. Well, you know what? It might hurt their feelings if I bring this out to them. And they may not want to know it or think about it or hear it. That's not what this is saying. Being able to share the very things that God cares about and being able to do that gently along the way. Yes, I'm going to bring it up, but yes, I'm going to be careful about how I bring it up. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said... Dude, this begins to put our tongue back in check, does it not? Isn't it amazing how God has tongue for the first half of the chapter, and then he has actions and wisdom for the last half, and when you put it all together, it starts to call you to this walk and this talk that is super consistent in your worship of your God, James chapter 3. This is worship on fire, man. Your words and your behaviors are all honoring to your God. He says it's peaceable, it's gentle. And then he says, open to reason, like willing to hear the other side. Seek first to understand, then to be understood, right? Seek first to understand. Those are words from God. He does long for us to be able to hear and grasp. We don't know everything. Some of you are like, 
Can you please tell my spouse that? (laughs) We don't know everything. We get into these battles where we start talking like I know. And I want you to know and understand what I know. And there are probably insights that you have, and that's great. Know this, they probably have some insight too. And so how can we bring the whole thing together to be understanding with each other and be moving forward? It doesn't mean that we have to approve of sin. Please hear me. If somebody starts quoting James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, trying to calm someone down who's pressing in that a sin needs to stop, they're quoting the wrong passage. That's a big deal problem, okay? This is absolutely about standing what God stands for, and it says, open to reason. They're persuadable, if you will. They're willing to hear. Or here's another one. They're not pig-headed. They're not sitting there saying, no, I don't care what you say or what you want. I know what I want, and that's the end of it. It's not that. Everybody say, not that. It's like, so what does it mean for you? Where are you struggling with this? How is that working for you? What am I missing? Okay, yeah, but God's word says this, so how do we bring those together? It's that kind of conversation. Making sure that the two of you go down the field together on this. Making much of your God. Open to reason. Full of mercy and good fruits. Full of mercy and good fruits. Just so you know, the word good fruits probably can also be, uh, it's really a good uh, analogy of the word blessings or graciousness. He's full of mercy and grace. And he's pouring it on. He's giving you from who he is. God's love. Mercy. And we all remember the definitions, right? So mercy. What is the definition of mercy? I am not getting what I rightly deserve. A punishment withheld. That's mercy. There are moments where the wisdom that is from above is pouring down on you. And you are understanding that there is a repentance in the midst. And while this could be a moment of some sort of leaning down on there can be a mercy that gets given. And maybe that's an appropriate call in the moment. And then also, blessings or graciousness, giving on what isn't deserved at all, lavishing on, being able to say, I'm willing to give in to this to help bring you along your journey with your God. And please hear me, I'm gonna say it one more time because I've heard it too many times. Verses 17 and 18 are not an excuse for how you get to get away with your sin. 17 and 18 are not you getting to say, see, I told you, so lay off of me and my sin. And so what if I'm taken from other people? And so what if I'm being selfish? You need to be merciful and you need to be gracious. And uh, they're not wrong that these verses right here call for mercy and grace, but there are a few other verses that talk about dealing with sin. Matthew 18, Galatians chapter 6. There are some strong moments and passages that say we need to be real about sin and leaning in and we need to call it out and we need to be willing to say, I'm sorry, God, please forgive me and set it down. And all of God's people said. And so praise God that he is a merciful God and praise God that he is a gracious God. Should we keep on sinning that grace may abound? God forbid. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Let's not misuse the scripture. Let's get in line with our God who's calling us to a sweet, sweet walk with him. It says, and a harvest of righteousness, or as we say around here now, summit point. (laughs) Not related at all, but hey, you know what? This word here actually is, it means fruit. And the fruits that are taken off the tree, 
right? As you take the fruit off the tree of righteousness, this is things welling up within you that help you to pour out the truth of who your God is, and it affects others around you, and God gets all the glory. Righteousness and fruit of righteousness, it's sown in peace by those who make peace. Literally, there is a peaceful environment, and the person sowing it has a peaceful heart. Like, it's talking about the pH balance of the soil when measured comes up high in peace, healthy in peace. All too often, we try to sow in aggressiveness. And we try to take in selfishness. And we try to manage because it's what I think is right. And so let me make clear to you what I'm thinking right now. And we long for the other party to just bend. But that's not at all what he's talking about here. Here he's talking about the ability to hear and be open-minded, the ability to walk through and value across the board, the ability to have a peace-centered approach. Man, I'm just telling you, if we begin to grasp the peace-centered thinking, changes everything. When we walk into the moment and we're not like, first thought, how can I win? Second thought, I like what they have. How do I get that? Third thought, don't you even think about taking my stuff, right? When we walk into a room, and quite frankly, it's a lot like walking into the walker's room back here. And we got our two-year-olds or our three-year-olds who are beginning life, and they're trying to learn what it means, but the first thing they know how to say is, mine, no, right? There's little things that get taught about how to be able to keep and protect along the way. May we not be a group of two-year-olds. And all of God's people said, (laughs) that's distilling it down to its simple brass tacks. Lord God, help me to know and understand who you are. May I grasp all that you're doing. Amen. Reality. We just went through a marriage weekend this last weekend. And uh, we had a lot of teaching that went on on Friday night and Saturday and, and just a ton of material there. We also went through on Sunday from the book Cherished by Gary Thomas and just some material from that. What does it look like to take on a relationship and care for one another? And here's the reality. A lot of you may have actually made commitments last week. You're like, this is it. We're doing this differently. And this is awesome. You have a prayer moment and there's celebration and maybe there's even tears and you as a couple decide to go after it. And Monday and then Tuesday and then Wednesday go by and then one of you remembers, this isn't even close to what we committed to. What are we thinking about? And now you need to begin to lean back in again and refresh And say, no, we were right on that. And there's some stuff we do need to go after. And this does need to be peaceable. And maybe there's stuff I do need to hear open to reason. And I'm longing for you to be able to get what you need. And maybe it will mean in the moment I don't get as much as what I need. But that's fine because in the long run, this is going to care and meet out. Man, being able to come together with the the James 3, 17 and 18 wisdom will change everything. Peaceable, others-oriented, God-glorified. May we truly celebrate the character of our King. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. 